Vintage Stories podcast is sponsored by Kari Wine, kariwine.com. Check them out. They got the new smart analysis machine, which can uh, easily, it's this tiny little machine, and it can easily detect yin, malic acid, tartaric acid, glucose, fructose, alcohol, color, free sulfur, total sulfur, PHTA. Pretty much all that money you spent on that giant, gorgeous laboratory was a waste. These guys have got it all in. They've got all the little reagents, and you can pick and choose what you want to do. So check them out, kariwine.com, based in Australia and New Zealand. I'm sure you can find them elsewhere in the world if you really wanted to get some uh, some goodies from them. Uh, just check them out, kariwine.com. Decibel Wines, that's decibelwines.com. The 2019 Malbec Nouveau is already out. Junta Malbec Nouveau. How do you get that? Well, you can only get that if you join the wine club. Otherwise, it's going straight to our distributors and out to all these cool little wine bars. But if you want some for your home, you got to look uh, look nowhere else but right here. This is the best place to get it. We've also got uh, the new Testify wines coming up. Uh, probably a new little website for that. Uh, telling a little bit more about the Testify by me, Daniel Brennan. And um, what else? Some new releases coming out. 17 Pinots on its way. And we've got some great stuff coming up uh, in America in September. So stay tuned for that. All right, let's start the show. All right, welcome back to the Vintage Stories podcast. By the way, we are on Instagram at Vintage Stories Podcast. Wait, wait, let me check that uh, to be sure before I get in big trouble. Uh, Vintage Stories, DB Vintage Stories on Instagram. Jeez, I should know my own Instagram handle, but it is at DB Vintage Stories where we post little clips and little lead-ins for the coming interviews, including this one with Cynthia Simmons from Tasmania via America via Greece. Uh, She'll tell us all about that, but we're going to dive in pretty quick. I won't do a big, long intro. I'll talk more at the end, but uh, this is an interview I did with Cynthia uh, about five weeks ago at the Organic and Biodynamic Wine Conference in our Wine Growers Conference in Blenheim. And she was there as part of a scholarship. I think we talk about that during the interview. Uh, But she was great. She just oozes passion. She's got these beautiful eyes that sort of dance. And uh, you feel like when you're looking into her eyes that you're back in Greece somewhere. It's pretty cool. Uh, But she's got this Australian accent. And uh, she, you know, has... uh, you know, so much history in Tasmania with her family and the way they planted that vineyard. And geez, if if you can check out our website, there's just some gorgeous, gorgeous shots there. So let's get in and talk to Cynthia. Uh, Again, Cynthia Simmons from Beautiful Isle Wines. Here we go. (music) 
Yeah. We're going. Uh, where were you born? Uh, well, I was born in San Francisco. So I, you know, you said um, you haven't listened to any podcast. I didn't have much time to do a lot of research on anybody I'm speaking to. I just quick like, uh, yeah, they look like they'd be cool to talk to. <laughs> and uh, I think I saw something on like a local Tasman news article or program or something and I went yep that'll do you know and I almost don't want to do too much research because right away when I met you you said where are you from yeah and I was like I had no idea you were born in America (laughs) so um how did you end up in Tasmania yeah (laughs) um in now in retrospect I'm so glad that we did um when I was 17 I was I hated it (laughs) Yeah, but, yeah, um, I bet, I bet. So my mum and dad, um, well, my dad is Californian. Mm-hmm. My mum is Cypriot and she moved to Australia oh, along okay. with lots of other um, Greeks. Um, she migrated in um, 60 and um, actually, no, 50, 1950. And um, so they met on a cruise liner. And my mum was going to America to escape (laughs) Um, what she had because she's Greek. um, And when she came to Australia, my grandfather was, uh, you know, quite strict, not allowing her to, um, you know, learn musical instruments. She had to go to a girls' school. Mm. Um, She wasn't allowed to learn other languages. They kept all of their Greeks very, very close together. So she was not English, Greek. She was, or she was. No, she learned to speak English in Australia. Okay, okay, yeah. Yeah, And what part of Australia did you say? Melbourne. Melbourne. So until only recently, um, you know, I think it was the biggest Greek city outside of Athens. Really. Basically, Um, so a lot of Greeks came out when they did and. And um, they didn't need to learn. Like my grandfather didn't learn English. Um, I still, to this day, didn't really have too many conversations with him. It was, it was, um, you know, all body language. <laughs> um, but so, so mum, mum, she um, changed her name and and moved out of home when she was quite young and dyed her hair blonde. She was obviously black hair, and her name she had was. <laughs> yeah, her name was Midianthi Anthula Papastava and she changed her name to Marion Stevens and decided she was going to go to America mm. because she was in love with um, Little Johnny on Bonanza. Oh, yeah, sure. So sure, she, sure. I mean, yeah. Fair so, enough. Yeah, so she was on her way back from three months in the US and my dad was escaping conscription to Vietnam. <laughs> so he decided he was go- going to Australia and they met on a cruise liner wow yeah in the middle of the pacific and, and here you are yeah and well then they um they moved to san francisco they courted for a while and um my mum moved to san francisco where dad was uh from and um then so after about eight or nine years living in the bay area they um they had doubled in winemaking i mean my mum actually comes from grape growing background in Cyprus sure and um, but my dad wasn't really he just drank wine and even then it was bloody sweet wine so (laughs) but I think um, one he was a painting contractor and they um, had swapped a paint job in Napa Valley for some Barbera grapes and they went and made it in the backyard and um, started a winemaking group um, the Contra Costa County wine 
group and they now have about 2500 members so and they're still they're winning awards so they so he and his mates started it up in the garage and so they were interested in um yeah, wine yeah, making and um they were looking to move out of san francisco because it was um you know population was growing and well to be honest um <laughs> they were freaked out about getting nuked <laughs> Sure, fair enough. Um, and so they happened to be on holiday in Australia uh, visiting my grandparents, so mum's parents, and they took a little side trip down to Tasmania. And uh, they never, ever took um, tourist routes. They took what my dad used to call terrorist routes. <laughs> that you know, They'd always go off the beaten track. And they were on a dirt road and um, they saw a um, for sale sign on, an old, on a property that was an old abandoned apple orchard. And they jumped the fence, they were in an old car, jumped the fence, climbed the hill and looked at the view and went, well, if we're going to pack, we might as well move this far. So then they, that was 1979 and they, they, they basically bought the property um, in so, Tasmania. Yeah. So serious viticulture research into where they were going <laughs> to there was a There was a couple of vineyards there. Okay, um, okay. There, so we were about the fourth... Uh, commercial vineyard um, started in Tasmania and there was um, at least one other that was started a few years before us that was quite a big vineyard. Most of the other ones in Tasmania were hobby vineyards. So, so what, um, what year is this, sorry? 79. 79. Yeah. So yeah, early days and yeah. certainly, I mean, it's probably still early days for Tasmania. Yeah, <laughs> it's a very young industry, um, although yeah. I think, you know, we have history back for growing grapevines to back in the 1800s in, in around Hobart. Um, but yeah, there wasn't very many, there wasn't very many people growing grapes there. So they, um, they met a guy just down the road, they saw a vineyard, they knocked on his door and this was an old, old codger. Um, and, um, they said, oh, that vineyard, do you know who owns it? And he said, well, I do. And, uh, they stopped, he opened a bottle of wine and I think, you know, that night, that's the one thing I do remember. I was very, very young, um, and I remember them having quite a few bottles of wine with <laughs> this old guy. And uh, so then later they, yeah, they bought the property. He he took cuttings from his vineyard and started a nursery, and um, they they went immediately home and and sold their um, property in San Francisco. And um, we moved like you know six months later, and we moved back on the same boat they met on. And you remember that you obviously you, you remember that boat yeah. ride. Yeah, uh, yeah, I remember yeah. the boat ride. Yeah, it was it was very fun. Yeah. Um, but you know, being five was you know we, all we did was yeah. play and run sure. around and <laughs> sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. But we moved to Tasmania in the beginning of so January nineteen eighty. So you grew up there. You grew up on the. Vineyard. I am. I am Tasmanian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I have some kind of mania anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, well, you don't sound like you're from San Francisco. That's no, for sure. I lost that accent yeah. a long time ago. That that was part of survival, I think. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I, uh, it's, uh, it's funny. I run into a lot of people in New Zealand and they go, man, you've been here 12 years and you still sound... Uh, well, I think there's an age when once you have your accent, you're going to have it. Exactly. You know? My dad still has an accent. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and so what do you grow in the vineyard and wh or what did you then and how have you changed to now? Well, so uh, they planted um, Pinot and Chardonnay, um, obviously. Um, that was what a lot of the other vineyards planted. They also planted Cabernet Sauvignon. Which, yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I think, you know, Bordeaux still did have um, similarities in latitude to, to uh, our region of Tasmania, um, but they weren't considering sunshine hours and things sure. like that. <laughs> um, they also planted Muller Turgal. 
Oh, yeah, that was a star back in New Zealand back (laughs) in the day, you know? We still have Molotoka. We have some of, they're not the oldest, but we have like the second oldest and probably only of two vineyards. Yeah. um, Plantings of Molotoka in Australia. (laughs) So for people who haven't had a Molotoka, how would you describe it? Well, it's a, a cross between um, Riesling and Silvana. And so Silvana's a quite a big bunch. Yeah. And um, so it does have the characteristics of Riesling. It has lots of the citrus and the floral ad- aromatics. and um, But it doesn't have – it has a huge – it's a huge big bunch. So it's wonderful cropping. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> cropping sure, sure. variety. Well, I think that was the idea in New Zealand years ago was yeah. like, you know, we can get some yield out of this thing. Yes, and, and it doesn't have the acidity. So the acidity falls out quite quickly um, and uh, – we now blend it with um, musket and Gewurztraminer, which we harvest on the same sure. day. We co-ferment together and um, we call it flower dance because mm-hmm. it smells like flowers and I makes you want to dance. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like it. But yeah, so so Mulaturga, I mean, I'm actually going to keep it because... Um, well, now it's cool. Like now it's yeah, like we're the only people that have it. All things are you know? back. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, you know, it works really well with the blend. There'll be um, some uh, hipster yeah, psalm that yeah. is way into it. So. I made a pet nap with it this year. It's nice. looking good. You're on it. You're on the wave. Good, good, good. <laughs> um, and so Pinot, Chardonnay are, are still a big part of it? Absolutely. Um, although, you know, they well, they had the Bordeaux blend, so Cab Sav, um, Merlot and Cabernet Franc. Not not Petit Verdot or anything like that. Um, and the Cabernet Franc is, uh, so for about for the last five vintages, I've actually um, made that as a single varietal. Uh, it, it, while it was great in the Cabernet, it, we lost it in the Cabernet. And so yeah. um, I think I a make, lot of people are in that discovery, particularly in cool climates. That, yeah, and, and it's just so much more fragrant. And, and to be honest, our Cab Sav is... Um, really tiny berries uh, so it's very very concentrated and it actually we release it at least four to five years old yeah because it's so tightly wound quite tannic Um, yes (laughs) (laughs) and um whereas the franc you know i can i can release that you know a year old or two years old and you know well the accountant loves the idea yeah yeah, (laughs) that we're releasing something young something young yeah Yeah. (laughs) but i mean it ages beautifully as well and it doesn't have the methoxypyrazine character that um, the Capsaf has so yeah, it's probably more about it. well tea leaf herbal than perfume, yeah, 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 bouquet garni. Yeah, oh, there, <laughs> some good tasting notes there. Um, and again, this being a bit of a crash course and not knowing who I'm going to speak to on this, um, I don't really know your story as far as organics go and, and anything like that, but has it always been part of it or was there a change for you guys or? Um, so we aren't organic. Yeah. We, um, I'm here um, gleaning as much information as yeah, I I'm, can. Yeah, I'm in the same boat, so don't, don't yeah. that, that's very cool. Um, Tasmania is um, very juvenile within the industry, but then also with its organic. So we only have one certified organic producer. There are There is another vineyard I hear that is going to try and gain certification um, soon, so in the next couple of years. Um, both of them are down south, and so in the southern part of Tasmania we have um, less rainfall. It's drier, uh, which perhaps is a little bit more conducive to organics. Yeah. Um, less um, humidity and pressure that I have up in the north for fungal disease like powdery mildew mm. um, and even downy mildew we, we still get... Um, we still get hit with. 
Uh, well, it sounds like Hawks Bay versus Otago or maybe Martinborough versus yeah. Otago, um, which we have those conversations quite a bit. Um, and what are you going to be speaking about here? Well, I'm going to tell my story. Yeah. Um, I'm actually here on a um, scholarship. So I won a uh, sustainable viticultural scholarship in Tasmania. I was the last recipient, um, so the eighth recipient. And you submit an idea to go and study something particular. And I chose to focus on the whole my whole trip to be on New Zealand. Mm. Um, I don't think that there's another place in the world that is more similar to Tasmania than New Zealand is. Well, that, that kind of leads me to the next question is, as far as Tasman wine associated with Australia, like, first of all, I don't see a lot of Tasman wine in New Zealand, and maybe because they're competing markets. I, I don't really know. I We're see more. tiny. Yeah, tiny I know they're really small too, yeah. But yeah. Uh, you'd think, at least if you saw them somewhere outside of Australia, you'd see yeah. them here. And I definitely taste some when I go to, like, Sydney and stuff, I, what mm-hmm. I can get my hands on. Um how does Tasmania fall in the sort of greater Australian, uh, you know, wine game? Because it always seems very separate, but then there's obviously also... I'm talking like more governmental and like, you know, certification, that kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, we're, I think still, we're still under the Aussie umbrella. Yeah, um, yeah. We, we follow, um, we pretty much have to follow every all Australian regulations. Um, I do wish we were uh, yeah, well, <laughs> separated. I'm, but I'm just wondering about even on the shelf, like... You, don't you normally see, like, wine of Australia, and then you might see wine of Tasmania or Tasmania? No, wine? we no? still have to say product of Australia. Okay, I wasn't um, sure about that. Yeah, yeah. We, it, it, it does carry its own niche um, because it's the flavour of, you know, the country right now. Yep. We have a huge amount of people um, investing. So, I mean, outsiders investing in Tasmania in the wine industry. I want a huge amount. I mean, you know... You know, there's big a couple hundred. <laughs> yeah, big for yeah, us. Yeah. It's a couple of hundred hectares going in. You know, as we speak. Is that a lot of Pinot um, and Chardonnay? Or? I think it will be for definitely for the Pinot and Chardonnay, whether that be for table or sparkling production. Uh, sparkling is, you know, by far our. Um, well, it's about thirty to it's about forty percent of our production is for sparkling wine, and um, yeah, but we we we're less than one percent of the. Australian crush. Sure. Yet we're at the the higher end of the price point, so. Um, e- e- both of those aren't hard to do. <laughs> no, that's that, that's true. <laughs> um, and I'll you know I'll be discussing all of those things in my speech to try and just like you know give perspective of how tiny we are. Yeah. Um, against that vast, great, big, gigantic island to mm. our north. Yeah. And uh, my wife has been there. Our partner has been there, and she uh, was sort of. She loved it, and um, but she, the way she explained it, she's like it can be even more rural than New Zealand. If yeah, that's parts possible. probably. Yeah, yeah. Part, some parts. Yeah. She she kind of just hoofed it around like she did all over Australia. And, yeah. Uh, she she said it was pretty interesting. Yeah, it's it's very very beautiful. Yeah. Um, I think for the for the for the, all the years that my parents were there, um, they really thought that people would fall in love and it w- and um people would come and, and see what they saw 
you know, my parents st- had opened the first cellar door in Tasmania so that, and, the, and the first winery yeah. um, that was not, you know, a shed in the backyard. It sure. was the, f- the first actually, you know, submitted to the council as a winery. Um, you know, our license is 00001. Which <laughs> 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 is very cool because I think, you know, we actually can sell wine 24 hours a day on any part of the property, whereas now licenses are given out and you can only sell between certain time limits only from the cellar door you know (laughs) you know nowhere else um not that we sell all over the property but maybe one day we will um but yeah so so and and when I was growing up it was a definite negative population growth you know we had far more kids young people leaving the island um to get jobs on the mainland um and, you know, tourism was really, really slow. We were very much a primary um, produce So what state. else What else do they grow there? Uh, well, a lot of trees. Trees, <laughs> For, uh, forestry. Forestry. We do a lot of potatoes. Yeah. <laughs> um, root veg. And uh, we have a, we had a very good, we have a very good um, seafood industry. So oysters, abalone, a lot of that was exported to... Asia so we didn't even get to see it um, we have a quite a big salmon industry now mm. that's um, so you know, um, farmed fish and dairy so great cheese sure all, all the same things to New Zealand you know mm. uh, um, but recently I'd say in the last um, five to seven years tourism has become um, our biggest industry now. Do you see young people starting to... Lots. Yeah, because we're starting to even see that. I mean, I would imagine it's even quicker in somewhere like Hawke's Bay where we're just getting people, like talented people from places like Auckland and Sydney yeah. or wherever, or, you know, Philadelphia, <laughs> where, where, yeah. uh, where they just go, I'd rather live like this. Yeah. Uh, this I think there's a, some... There's a few reasons, like there's probably an early burnout mm. um, in Sydney and Melbourne. Um, you know, people want to go out on their own as well. They that younger generation, you know, wants to be able to do their own thing earlier. Yeah. Um, and Tasmania is affordable yes. to do that, which has been great for us because you know coffee used to be so shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's and now now there's too many coffee shops to choose <laughs> from. There's baristas everywhere. Um, and great restaurants. You know, our produce is incredible. I'm, I'm sure it's different. Well, it's different now. I, I feel like I was very fortunate when I moved to rural, semi-rural New Zealand. The world changed a lot for me the 10 years before. It's like all of a sudden we had social media and, and phone, even just like the price of a mobile phone to call. I'm in the middle of the vineyard. Mm-hmm. Leaf plucking, and my brother just calls me up, and we talk mm-hmm. for twenty minutes, and mm-hmm. it wasn't like astronomical. My uncle lived overseas when I was a kid; like he had to wait in a queue, yeah, to get. And God, you know, he's gonna call. Nobody used the phone, yeah. you know, for you know, for the next two <laughs> hours until we know when he's gonna call. And just think about how different that is now. You just like you know, WhatsApp, yeah. Facebook, you know, telephone, whatever, email, and so. You know, and you're not out of touch, you know. It would be so uncool no. to be in the rural area and be like, oh, man, I want to go to the big city. When you go to the big city for, like, three years, you're like, this sucks. I'm going back. And yeah. I can still keep in touch with everybody, you know. So it's good to hear Tasmania's yeah. experience in that as well. Yeah. It's starting to uh, definitely increase um, to the great benefit of Tasmania. I just hope that we, we also, you know, don't go 
Yeah. Crazy. I don't think you will. <laughs> I think I think hopefully it'll be a nice balance at least yeah. for the the short term. Um, are you not to put you on the spot too much, but are you seeing as far as the wine industry goes, like a lot of winemakers and people saying like, oh, I'm going to come for harvest, and then they stay or or they come back and say like, Absolutely. I'm going to make this my home. There's a um, there's a great jump in new um, vineyards but also uh, young people coming in and and buying fruit and making their own labels and brands Um, particularly down the south in towards Hobart so they've come down they may have been a som worked in hospitality and then they decide you know and then they work in a winery for a little while and they want to make their own brand so there's lots of that happening down there Um, which is phenomenal I mean we really it's a very small state and we don't – there's still some of the – probably the best pieces of land haven't been found sure. yet. So um, – but and we, we market ourselves as a whole one island, but there's distinct regions amongst that island, obviously. Um, the winemakers, we all know there's different regions. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, it's a bit but, like that. I mean, I, if I go to the, to the States to sell my wine, I just start uh, – it's New Zealand yeah. first. And then no, – no, it's not Marlboro, and then yeah. we kind of go from there, but – yeah. Overall, it's just enough to get your head around that yeah. this other side of the planet, yeah. and, and probably even if you brought your wine to Sydney, they wouldn't. You know, they'd only yeah. know certain parts of. Um, well, I think. Uh, is there anything else you want to say? I mean, I want. I want to. I, I want to leave some for your story as well. I don't want to keep you too long, and we got a nice little uh, event to go to in a little yeah. while. Yeah. Um, thanks for doing this. I will get all your info and website and all that kind of stuff and we'll post it up here uh i should be taking pictures of everybody with me but i keep forgetting to do that but maybe we'll do that uh in a bit i just hate to do selfies you yeah because everybody's like that's right up there so i have to get somebody to take our photo um but thanks for doing this and Pleasure. responding and i think uh it's been a uh, a little testament to the growing community uh and curiosity around organic wines that even just throwing out a few emails like a week ago I've gotten a lot of response and yeah, yeah it was the first day and I got three, three podcasts already. Right, so, yeah. um, I look forward to hearing, uh, more about your story and thanks I for doing this. I look forward to listening. Cheers. Thanks Daniel. Ah, pretty cool, huh? First winery license in Tasmania. I mean, how cool is that? Zero, zero, one. Yeah, you can get grandfathered in on stuff like that. You can pretty much do whatever you want. So, the uh, important stuff. Uh, BeautifulIsleWines.com is the website. Like I said in the intro, go in and check out. We'll have uh, more info in the show notes about where... You can find it, but it's certainly, as I said in the intro, I saw Cynthia in Sydney last week at a a wine show, a different wine show, and uh, her wines, I'm sure, are readily available in Australia, and I'm sure she'd be happy to ship them around the world to you. They usually have those kind of services that can do that. If you happen to be passing through Tasmania, I mean, you would be crazy not to go to this place. You look at it, they've got kind of a cool, cool cellar or sort of stone stone cellar they've got rolling vineyards out into the ocean it just looks stunning and uh, like I said she couldn't be cooler from everything I've seen on social media it looks like they have 
a pretty awesome cellar door. Again, she mentioned it was the first one in the country. So I would go check that out. I want to go to Tasmania now. I've never been to Tasmania. I feel like I have an extra excuse to, to go. So what else? Well, probably the most interesting thing, you know, I'm more attuned to uh, organics and biodynamics coming out of that conference, like I said, uh, and I've been talking about on the last few podcasts. I'm always trying to find literature and and other media and, of course, podcasts. So I listened to a great podcast over the weekend, and I thought I'd share it with you guys. It is Freakonomics Radio, which is very popular and no you know, hidden gem here. Uh, you'll find it's one of the most liked podcasts on iTunes. But the one they just came out with, which was number 386, How the Supermarket Helped America Win the Cold War. Really interesting podcast, some really cool history there. Uh, really hit home for me because it talks about supermarkets in America, but basically now how that model has gone all over the world. And, uh, you know, generally pretty good thing that you fed all these people. Um, I, I'm personally on the side where I'm happy that, uh, you know, Soviet Russia didn't uh, win that war. Uh, obviously, it's a way more complicated issue nowadays. Um not that I think uh, Russia's doing the Lord's work or anything, but, uh, you know, what you get out of the podcast, and they certainly talk about this as well, is that there was a price to pay for all this. And that while we like to think of America as purely capitalists, it's not. All this stuff was um, uh, paid for by the government. All the surplus grain, all the surplus uh, corn. Yeah, eventually that turned into high fructose corn syrup surplus and uh, was all supported by the government, just like dairy is in, in other countries, probably New Zealand. Um, and there is a price to pay. Our, our health, uh, our farms, uh, our soils, uh, instead of they would put limits on things like how, how big the farms could be, they would just do more intensive, um, conventional, <laughs> I'd like to say, or probably the better word is industrial farming. And, uh, we're all paying the price for it now. So, um, you know, you could try to point the finger. I think there was probably some, some good things that were trying to be done. It wasn't all evil, uh, like some people like to say it is, um, and greed. It was actually trying to do some good things and feed some people and, you know, win the cold war, which was, let's be honest, if you were alive, when I was alive, it was still readily going in the eighties when I was a kid. So, um, came out, we've come out the other side of that now. And, um, you know, what are we going to do now? That's the big question. So organic farming, that's, we keep saying this, it can save the world. So I hope you guys do more reading, more research, and uh, really consider it. If you're uh, in the wine industry, it doesn't mean you have to do anything too out there. If you're not somebody who's, you know, feeling like they want to jump off the cliff, just try some new things. And why the heck are we doing this anyway? We want to be passionate about our wines. We want to make a difference in the world. And I'm pretty sure everybody got into this industry and they drink wine, for those of you that are uh, the consumer out there, I mean, we're all consumers. You want something that tastes pure and beautiful. So 
check that podcast out. It's kind of more historical. It doesn't go really into organics that much, though it is mentioned uh, a couple times during the podcast. I think it's a really uh, cool thing to step back and look at the history of, of how we got to where we are. And um, at that organic conference, Robin O'Brien from America, she also spoke about that as well. And she's got a great podcast too. You can check out so I'll leave you with that. And uh, thanks again to Cynthia Simmons. We will post uh, her info in the show notes. And we will be back next week with some more interesting guests. They're going to keep coming. We've got some great people lined up. Cheers. <laughs>